You're listening to. And welcome to the Good Pop Culture Club, episode 38. My name is Marvin Yue, and joining me to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, we have self proclaimed professional Asian American Just Jew. What's up, Jess? Hi, everyone. <laughs> I hate it here. Also joining us, professional culture editor Hong Wen. Hey. So, Jess Han, since like literally the day after we recorded last week, our episode last week, the entire country went up in flames. Um, and so we are now sitting in the aftermath. How y'all doing? Not great, Marvin. <laughs> like, is there any other answer? N- not any weirdly not better than we were i mean like how could have we got have gotten worse so much worse i think there's just a weird dissonance of all this shit happening around us in our country and the world but also like the day-to-day routine and like the small modicums have not changed at all and i'm like how it's so weird like i don't know what to do <laughs> i mean we were all talking about like joking about something like this happening when the election uh, came in, I mean, right? and then, I wasn't joking. <laughs> so that's the I thing. Mean, it's yes, I mean, half joking, right? We were like, I'm no, not I wasn't surprised. <laughs> no, 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 none of this actually surprises me. It's just like, but that does just because you're not surprised doesn't make the actual experience or viewing it or reading about it and catching up it like less terrifying slash annoying slash rage inducing. You know, like. I mean, I cried out all my tears in November 2016. I literally stayed up crying, sobbing all night. I had to, like, take puff puffs of the inhaler. So none of this surprises me. But yet, it's still traumatic. I mean, it's a confirmation of the absolute scale and evil that, like, we're facing. Whereas we kind of, we knew it, we talked about it, we were like... fully half the country, you know, voted a certain way. And, you know, they're still going to be out there no matter what. And I was just like, I won't believe it until he gets inaugurated. Even then, it's not going to end. So, yeah, I I fully expected a lot of things to happen. Now, this specifically, maybe not on that day and in the way it took its form. But yeah, so it just to get confirmation that like everything is even you know like horrible and having faces and having plans like in your face um for these like really really evil acts i'm just like i i think i in the past 6 days or whatever i think i've had like one full night's sleep so. <laughs> it's been like who like yeah it's been we're back at doom throwing now like i'm doom throwing not only covid stuff but also like um like, would you call this an uprising? It's a coup, yeah. right? It's all of it's it. It's a coup it's all attempt. Of it. Yeah, insurrection. It's an insurrection. It's it's a coup. It's um. Someone Uprising's was talk- a little too neutral for this. Yeah, I think someone was calling it like uprisings a, for like the racial justice uprisings or you know stuff like yeah. that. So that's not that. It's not that. This is yeah. wild. Uh, I mean, someone called it like stochastic terrorism. Um, they are terrorists. That's the thing. Um, it's just there. Like every single term, it's so horrible that we can't just pick one because it's this is again unprecedented. So, and I mean, here in LA, where the three of us are, we're also dealing with like the worst of the outbreaks. Like we're we're at a point where our EMT teams have to triage people on the streets. Right. There's this ordinance that says if you can't be saved in the field, you can't be transported to a hospital. Like you're just done. Yes. And they've been rationing oxygen. And I'm, I think some of that protocol is like still fairly standard. But I mean, when it's laid out as like 0% ICU capacity and ambulances are, you know, circling, driving for hours at a time trying to find any hospital that will take this patient. Plus, something uh, that they don't show great. on the news is. A lot of the hospitals have set up mobile morgues because morgues are overloaded. Like, yeah, there's I mean, so many dead people. When the body count is that high, it's like they can't actually like. Just like everything else, we haven't been able to keep up with the demand. And I mean, it's what one in four are have tested positive. 
Yeah. I think that it was one in five tested, tested positive. Um, so there may be more out there, you know, just asymptomatic, mm. not getting tested. And then there was also an, on top of that this week, the FDA released a warning that one of the major COVID tests, test like suppliers in the, in LA had like a, like a high rate of false negatives. Yeah. I've I was taken just like, that cool. Test- Cool, cool, yeah. cool, 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 cool. Yeah, I've cool, taken cool. that to us twice. Yeah, I have taken that test too. I was like, "Well, oh god, there we go." So um, it's times like this that I'm glad I didn't actually become a doctor because this is the worst time to be someone who literally has to make decisions on who lives and who dies every single goddamn day. I mean, depending on where, which kind of doctoring you're doing, yes. Uh, but it's not it's not easy for any healthcare worker right now but also like there are also crazy ass healthcare workers who are like not being very responsible and i you know my partner is a healthcare worker and some of his cohort are like you know going mm-hmm. out and you know there's like smart you know you hear that like some people don't want to take the vaccine and i'm just like what's happening yep. i'll take your vaccine LA also released their like full plan, right? They gave out the strategy, they gave out the timeline of which groups would get vaccinated in what phase. And I'm, I think we are all in like the last group, which I understand rightfully so, but they're like, you'll probably get it first dose. They can only <laughs> promise first dose in like May or June. And I'm like, what right. about the second dose? And do we trust the efficiency of this like logistical delivery of vaccines? So I'm like mentally preparing for like fall or winter, guys. I mean, I've watched so many like outbreak movies back in the day that like, you know, what's going to happen. We're going to get the first dose. The second dose gets delayed. And then all of a sudden the virus mutates because we didn't fully eradicate it. Um, I mean, the way apparently this is a mRNA vaccine. So it's a little different than the virus vaccines we have used in the past, which is actually very cool in terms of the strategy strategy that they've been using to uh you know kill the to to combat covid-19 so as long as the outer coating of covid-19 doesn't change the protein structure we're fine <laughs> the well, that changes coating, who knows but if it melts oh. in your hand you know we're fucked yeah so just put it in your mouth fast <laughs> <laughs> uh it's been so long since i've had m&ms Uh, well what a time to be alive oh but i'm dead inside marvin i'm dead inside (laughs) well hopefully not too dead because uh for this week's good pop culture club we're talking all about the new disney pixar film soul uh but before we get to that let's find out what pop culture is beginning us through this very eventful week uh jess what's popping i started this really fun sitcom british sitcom called dairy girls it's available on netflix it's written and created by Lisa McGee, a North Irish playwright, and it's about a group of four teenage friends going to Catholic school and like a tagalong male cousin who really gets like an unfair amount of bullying from them. Um, but it's it's a coming of age story about these four friend group in Northern Ireland in the 1990s against the backdrop of you know the Troubles, which was the conflict between the uh, Irish Catholic Irish and protestant british and again this i'm very simplifying this is like a dumb american like very broad strokes um but i love a coming of age story i love it when girls get to be awkward the the main character is like a very she wants to be a writer she's trying very hard to be like you know like more mature and deeper as you are as a 16 year old girl and it just it's it, the 90s aesthetic is great it really has come back the outfits they wear i could see people wear rocking today the music's great you know, salt and pepper and like there's vanilla ice. Um, but, you know, I think it really hits me because it's just it doesn't matter what's going on in the world. Like people live life and like they find, you know, that th- they don't give a shit about the like the troubles. Like they're worried about like boys and like finding boyfriends and like trying to get laid and, you know, all the teenage girl stuff. So that juxtaposition is really great. The actors are all fantastic. Um, so I actually c- came on to this because um, Nicola, who plays Penelope Claire. Featherington on Bridgerton, is this is where she got her first role. She's so funny at this. She's like the neurotic do-gooder 
Claire um, and then Sister Michael, who is like the nun in charge of their school, is hilarious. So, you know, all these things happening, um, just great performances. Definitely check it out. It's like a very contained series. I think it's two seasons, eight episodes each, like 30 minutes. And it just is what it is one of those sitcoms. So if you get stressed easily, it is one of those sitcoms where things get worse. (laughs) Like no one wins at the end. There are sitcoms where like everyone wins at the end, which is like the Parks and Rec in my world. And then there's like the one where like the character tries futilely to make something better and it just falls apart. Like everybody hates Chris or that kind of vibe. So it's definitely in the everybody hates Chris vibe. Like they keep fucking up. And it gets worse. Her friends don't help. Usually one of her friends, like Michelle, the like bad influence, but very fun wild child, she ends up making things worse. But, you know, they're all lovable. Great cast. Adults are great. Grandpa's great. Lots of Irishisms. I do not understand like (laughs) 80%, but it doesn't matter. And that's what I love. I love learning about different worlds, different cultures. And so definitely check it out. It's on Netflix. Yeah, it's a it's it's a crack, right? That's what they say. I don't even know. They <laughs> they it took me a while, and I I credit Outlander for teaching me. But like a a a Wayne a Bane is like a baby, mm-hmm. like a kid, mm-hmm. and so they kept saying that like your Bane is. I'm just like wait, what? I'm like oh oh, they're talking about children. Okay, cool, cool. I got it. My only um experience with the Dairy Girls is that guest spot they did on the Greek British Bake Off um, holiday <laughs> yeah, special. So I watched that first and it's so much cuter after you watch <laughs> the actual show. Right, because to me they're all just shitty bakers on the show about Yeah, baking. they're all very funny and I do think it's still fairly rare to have like a female, majority female ensemble where everyone gets to be really funny and messy. I do, I do think that has been like a more current trend. Uh, but it's it's they're all very distinctly funny and um i just you know i i do think it's somewhat in the vein of like never have i ever if you like you know like awkward teenage girl coming of age stories you'll probably like dairy girls nice i did start it and i did have to pause because of the amount of anxiety i <laughs> yeah, was getting they're from very it, so. awkward girls like they don't know how to conduct themselves and they make things worse but it's kind of true. And I do think girls should be allowed to be like awkward ass people. I know I just need to get over the hump. Like that's what happened with me um, when it came to. Uh, oh, my God. What's the one on Hulu? Um, Pen 15. Pen 15. Yeah. So Pen 15. It took me a few tries yeah, to get would, through the first yeah. episode. And then finally, once I pushed over that hump and I was like, it's going to get better. Then I was like, you OK, just have cool. To embrace the cringe. Just like it's not as cringe. cringy at Pen15. I think Pen15 <laughs> is still like the pantheon like of cringe humor. Um, it's not that realistic. It's it's but and there are these situations where like I think like the first episode they're talking about like how the there's a bomb on the bridge, there's like a bomb threat, and everyone's just like annoyed, like no one's worried. <laughs> they're like, oh fucking bomb, like again, like come on, like you gotta go all the way around town now. <laughs> And, you know, so it's just that making light of like kind of these terrible situations. And um, there's a lot of hate on the English, too, which I always like to like shitting on the British. The, mm-hmm. the, the English is always mm-hmm. funny. Beautiful. America shitting on the English <laughs> since 1776. Han, what's popping with you? All right. So I've already spoken about Dickinson um, here. I But Dickinson season two just started. And um, the first three episodes have aired, and so I won't give any spoilers beyond that. But um, in particular, what I like about the season, well, they they hinted a little bit about it in the last season, but um, Emily Dickinson was actually, in real life, a phenomenal baker. What? And and she had quite the reputation, since we're talking about bake-off adjacent sort of things, um. And so in the second episode, she enters a baking contest and she, you know, she has, um, it's called a black cake. It's, um, it's a black Caribbean cake. That's the spice cake, kind of like a, um, fruit, you know, uh, fruit cake. But, um, it's kind of crazy what she makes because it's like a three tier dark cake that uses like 19 eggs and two pounds of butter and all the raisins she's soaked in brandy 
supposedly supposed to only be for two weeks, but she did it for a month. Anyway, so she makes this cake. She wins the contest. And um, and it's kind of a very sly way to talk about um, fame, because as a lot of people kind of know about Emily Dickinson was that she was a shut in and she didn't go out in the world and she doesn't, you know, didn't get really published a lot until after her death. I mean, she did got some publishing. So it's kind of like the question that a lot of artists ask themselves is like, am I doing this for fame and what is fame and will that change me? And so one of her things where she's trying to decide whether or not she wants to be published or not is when her friend's like, wait, it's such a sad thing if you get to be known in history as a baker and not a poet. Um, So the whole season is kind of like talking about that and notoriety and stuff like that. Um, it's also set in 1859, so we're getting closer and closer to the Civil War. So there's some discussion of that. They have, um, uh, they're in Massachusetts, I believe. So, but they still, of course, need to be careful because they have um, black workers on their uh, on their establishment, house, whatever. Um, <laughs> and um, and one of the the new faces of the season is played by. Um, the comedian Ayo Adibiri. I'm not sure if I'm saying that quite right. Um, but she's also like, if you recall, Big Mouth had a whole controversy about having the character Missy, who is, you know, half black on the show being played, you know, um, by a white woman. So she took over for that role and is now doing the voice of Missy on Big Mouth. So she's also a writer because she's a comedic writer on uh, Dickinson. So this time she gets to also show her face. Um, she has a uh, a few funny you know moments here. Uh, so yeah, I, I recommend it again. Like if you haven't caught it, they they do a kind of thing where it's sort of um, color conscious casting, but not quite. Like all the main characters are white, um, and then of course when they need to be black because we're talking about civil war, then then they are black, but. So then that makes a few other things awkward because they haven't quite established the the rules <laughs> of mm. the reality but not but it's never awkward in the oh I am cringing but just more of like so what about this Japanese guy or what about you know just um so it's it's still interesting it's still very funny they there are moments when you know you're laughing out loud because of course uh having a black writer on staff then you get certain things called out uh, <laughs> and some hypocrisies. There are small um, guest starring roles, obviously, when it comes to the real life people that live during the time. Like last season, it was Henry David Thoreau, who was played by John Mulaney. This, uh, this season, we get to see um, Edgar Allan Poe, um, who is played by Nick Kroll. Who is also? Oh God! Oh, I, th- yeah. I was hoping he would be hot. I was like, "Are we getting <laughs> no, a daddy Poe?" Like, I was Oscar Isaac. I agree that this was a Poe I hadn't seen before because he's very Southern in his um, accent, and I didn't know that about Poe. The Poe I keep thinking of is the guy from, um, uh, oh my God, what's the Body Show? Altered Carbon. Altered Carbon, sorry. And then, so he looks like Poe. But yeah, like I was hoping for a hot Poe too. But you know, this is this show is kind of weird and, and makes people awkward. And you know, like if Henry David Thoreau is like a mama's boy, then, you know, like a man child, then this this uh, Poe is very uh, randy, just wants to make out. Um, oh. And um, he's also dead, spoiler, but not really if you look at the dates. Uh, <laughs> so it's like but anyway, a, like a Casper thing, like a sexy ghost thing. Well, so death is played by Wiz Khalifa. And we love it. Yes, I remember <laughs> you talking about this yes. last time. Yes, and since so she has this so- sort of like obsession with death, that's an ongoing thing where she has a conversation in his carriage with death, and so Poe is in there. So that's a spoiler-ish, but not really. Okay. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, <clears throat> lots of fun, very interesting. It brings up questions. It's just different. So. Marvin, what amazingly <laughs> positive thing have you been <laughs> turning to? What's popping? All right. So I was doing some, uh, I guess, January cleaning, beginning of year cleaning. Um, I was cleaning my room uh, for the new year. And I found my old PSP, uh, which is a PlayStation Portable, a very underrated system with a lot of really cool games back in like 
the late 2000s, uh, <laughs> the battery was bloated, so obviously can't play it anymore. But I, you know, popped it open and noticed that I had the last game I played in there was Crisis Core, which is one of my favorite games from that system. Um, Crisis Core is a part of the Final Fantasy VII Expanded Universe, which they call the compilation of Final Fantasy VII. Um, it is a prequel um, to the original PlayStation game. And it's relevant because of the recent release of Final Fantasy VII Remake, which, um, slight spoilers, turned out to be more than just a reboot um, and more of a continuation of the compilation expanded universe. So they kind of pulled a, you know, a J.J. Abrams Star Trek move um, there. But yeah, it set me down a rabbit hole of, you know, looking at wikis and watching replays of Crisis Core, um, which, like I mentioned, is a prequel to Final Fantasy VII, tells the story of Zack Fair, who was a minor but significant character in the original game, um, best known as the guy who gave Cloud um, his iconic giant buster sword before passing away, and also being Aerith's long-lost first love. Uh, and for people going into Crisis Core who were fans of the game, um, they went in with the knowledge of the eventual outcome, which, spoiler for the 14-year-old game, um, at the end, after spending almost 30 hours getting to know Zack and watching him go on missions, dating Aerith, and they build Zack's character very well. He's a very affable guy, um, in contrast to uh, Final Fantasy VII's main character, Cloud, who is more of a brooder. But you come up to his final stand scene, where you know he's not going to make it through. Um, but an interesting thing that this game does is instead of making his final stand a cutscene that you watch as an ending, the game gives you control so as a player, you play his final stand as he takes on an infinite number of enemies until you can't fight anymore. So um, back in the day, it was a very emotional and innovative way to play a scene like this where um, you know what's going to happen, but you're trying your hardest to you know maybe change his fate. Um, so now, years later, it remains a very emotional experience for a lot of people. And with the success of Final Fantasy VII Remake, um, there seems to be a renewed interest in Crisis Core because um, Zack's story actually plays a large role in the remake, especially towards the ending. So like I mentioned, I looked online and I found several new Let's Plays of the game where people you know, play the game and react to it. And so I spent my weekend watching people play through the game, getting super invested in the character, and getting completely devastated at the ending. And to be honest, it kind of fed my soul a bit. Oh, yeah. There's a whole new generation, like, you know, learning that having Tifa make their parts feel funny, too. That's what I've learned. <laughs> but she's, like, even in higher def now. Yeah. Which, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't think, like, a person would naturally be able to exist like that with the laws of gravity and physics but um her motto in the, in the new remake actually is a lot more um grounded in reality as in like like her her boobies aren't taking up like 80 percent of her like body <laughs> mass volume anymore yeah the remake was really well done i was actually really impressed by what they did with the story um like you go in expecting one thing and they, they kind of like subvert a lot of your expectations and so i'm I'm excited that Final Fantasy VII is coming back as a cultural touch point. I mean, it's we're in the era of the reboot, so <laughs> I, you know, we're gonna be on like in a few years, we'll be on like the second and third reboots of things. <laughs> but yeah, that's what's popping with me. Uh, just watching people cry online. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just want to watch people suffer. Are you okay? <laughs> um, speaking of watching people cry and experiencing emotions, um. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk all about the new Disney Pixar film, Soul. Uh, stick around. Hey, I'm Phil Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. Soul, the latest animated feature by Disney Pixar, is about Joe Gardner, a middle-aged middle school band teacher who moonlights as a jazz musician. 
On the way home after landing the gig of his life, he accidentally falls down in open manhole cover in New York City and passes on into the great beyond. What follows is Joe's adventure through the Pixar version of the metaphysical afterlife as he tries to find a way to get back to his body while also helping a lost soul discover the meaning of life. So I had no idea what this film was really about before watching it. I didn't watch any trailers and I didn't read any um, articles. So I was actually really surprised at a lot of directions that this <laughs> film took. I mean, it's definitely a very Pixar film, but it was a lot of fun following Joe's adventure through this like fictionalized uh, metaphysical afterlife. Um, it's definitely a film that I wish I saw on the big screen because, man, this movie would have been beautiful in the movie theater. Jess Han, what did y'all think about Soul? I mean, I am a Pixar bitch, and I am I have the taste of a 12-year-old. I love animated movies, and I love Pixar movies. I was very excited about this one. Um, obviously, we'll probably talk more about the things that didn't sit well with us, but I think overall, it was a really beautiful film that made me think a lot, and I mean, this is very rare, I feel, for animated films. Like, I had to sit there for maybe 15 minutes after watching the film and, like, just unpack what the film said about life. Like, I actually did not know what the film was trying to say. And then I had to, like, rewind it, which was the <laughs> one good thing about watching in Disney+. Plus. But I agree with you. It's, uh, it's very hard to kind of process all the detail on a small screen. I don't have a TV, so... I watch everything on my like desktop, like that's the best I got. But like, there's no good seat to watch it in, so I was like laying in my bed. So I was like literally lying down watching this because I wanted to be comfy. But even then, you know, really, really, um, really interesting questions that this movie brings up. It is co-directed and co-written by Pete Doctor, who is the mind behind. Uh, inside out and i believe he also did up so you know he was gonna like fuck you up <laughs> um i i did also wonder like is pete doctor okay like <laughs> like dude are you okay uh and but you know it it did have a really pretty big impact on me and i consider myself someone who is fairly well adjusted mentally healthy most of the time who is, you know, content and happy with the people and, you know, the the things she does in life. And even I was just like, damn, what are we doing? And so I wonder if people were maybe less well adjusted or less grounded, if that just like sent people off a spiral. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the film does ask a lot of existential questions like, what is the meaning of life? Um, what is passion? <laughs> What are you meant to do? Um, and all told through the lens of like a man who's devoted his life to art, which like holds a special piece in like all, all of our lives because we're all creators here um, or we all work in the creative industries. Um, I did enjoy the fact that like, um, I don't know about you, but it feels like we just can't escape from the age old question of is art a career? <laughs> is art a real job? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think another someone else pointed this out. I forgot who, but like this movie is about a middle aged man. Like it is about a middle aged man who's like essentially in, in a very like steroided out way going through a midlife crisis or a life crisis. Uh, and it, it feels bad, man. Like, you know, kind of like, is this where you thought all your goals of life would end up be? Like, is this the pinnacle of everything you worked for? It's, you know, and I think he has that moment outside the club with the uh, uh you know the jazz musician voiced by a Angela Bassett and she tells that story about like the fish right like <laughs> and i think as i don't know as i feel like as someone who has always been taught to plan and work for the next thing i think that's like i think if you were good at school right like you know there's there's always like clear parameters of what you're working towards and how you need to get there and how to define success and at a certain point like that slowly falls away. So, like, I kind of had this, like, Joe-like experience when I was, like, right out of college because that's when all those, like, trappings of the definitions of, like, what what you're supposed to do started falling away from me. So maybe, like, I was prepared for this better now. But had I seen this at, like, maybe 22, um, I probably would have, like, ended up in some kind of institution somewhere. Uh, 
All I have to say is, Pete Doctor, why do you have to hurt me so? Um, no, that's why I'm like, are you okay, Pete Doctor? Like, who <laughs> fucked you up that you got to inflict this on everyone else? I do have to say, I mean, because I am a person who, especially in my youth, was um, far more creative. Um, uh, goal was to be, you know, a creative writer, have a creative writing degree, and am currently a journalist now trying to pivot back to creative writing, I felt for Joe. Very much so. Like, I I have my paying job. I don't, I mean, he's he has a part-time job, so, like, I'm doing well. But, um, and, you know, I get to be creative adjacent, and um, I'm, I'm still very much enjoying, I'm in a position of um, more power now, so I'm not as frustrated as it was. But, you know, I recently, like, applied to a, a fellowship somewhere you know and so the creativity and trying to figure out like well is this all that there is should i be pursuing this thing i didn't pursue giving it a really good try felt all of that um we'll get to the part that's not going to sit as well with us but part of my issue wasn't even that um kind of like with inside out like i think inside out is a very touching film it's very cute but I didn't actually like the conceit there, and I don't necessarily know if I love the conceit here. I think I would have liked it more if if everything were more earthbound. Um, it's as beautiful and as cute and funny as the sort of side story is that the, this imaginative world that they created to talk about um, our souls and how we, you know, and, and the meaning that we get from life and stuff like that. I, I I was just like, wow, they could have just stayed on Earth to do this for me. <laughs> and they had to come back, you know. So that was a bit of just more of a narrative frustration for me. Um, I'm I'm sure also that this is a great way for kids to talk to kids about it. And <laughs> I know that's probably not for me, that part, the cuteness. Um, but at the same time, yeah, that was just kind of like, for me. <laughs> I, I don't know do if f- the you seminar scenes were meant for kids. Like, even I was like, as someone who like, loves this like ex- existential like shit had a, har- a harder time like kind of like trying to figure out what was going on i did um unlike han i did enjoy those parts a lot more than the earthbound parts for me yes, that, that was like agreed. the most fun because like as someone who does like i guess because of my nerdy pursuits um can wrap my head around like the existential concepts that like the Jerry's represent and what you know what the youth seminar is like I thought that was like that was pure Pixar which is like you know anthropomorphizing um complex concepts into like funny characters I I really enjoyed those parts I I do also really like the Jerry's and (laughs) Terry um I don't know if that's a new binary we're gonna go by like are you a Jerry or are you a a Terry I'm definitely the Terry in your life, Marvin. Um, I mean, she has a job and she's going to do it, okay? And Terry is voiced by the incredible Rachel House, mm-hmm. who is in, you know, Thor Ragnarok. She works a lot with Taika Waititi. Mm-hmm. And she was also the voice of the grandma in Moana, which is like, can we say range, mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen? Um, but I, I would agree with Marvin. I actually really liked the kind of buff, great beyond scenes more. Um, cause I mean, I guess we can talk about it now. Once we yeah. get to Earth, the Tina Fey of it all really comes in and like <laughs> fucks shit up, and it's super annoying. Um, See, I didn't it know feels that was like Tina Fey, so movies. I guess I wasn't as annoyed at it. Oh no! How I, did you not know that was Tina Fey? She has a very distinct voice and persona. It's been so long <laughs> since I thought about Tina Fey. To be honest, that like I really. Just but didn't. this is actually yeah. why I was saying separating it from the actual problematic area of it. <laughs> I, you know, like, and of course, this is purely like, I think a lot of people like this, uh, the more imaginative conceptual side. And it's not like I didn't understand it. I just don't like it. But um, yeah, separating even from the Tina Fey-ness of it, like, I didn't love, I don't know, like, I feel like every time that they try to anthropomorphize these types of things, it actually makes things too simple. And maybe that's my thing. But of course, it's a kid's film. So I understand that that's not really like my issue. Like, like I need to just let it go. So um, but like, you know, like with in, in, uh, in Inside Out, I was just like, oh, just those emotions. <laughs> so I was just, um, so but why don't we go ahead and talk about the Tina Fey-ness of it all? 
Oh my god, could they have picked a more inappropriate voice actor to voice 22, right? And what pisses me off is that 22 literally is not anything. 22 is not a man, not a woman, not any age. 22 is just the soul, right? Like, the bare soul. Like, you could have... But of course, when you put a actual voice on it, then all the connotations of voice actor becomes... They make one joke about it. You know, about like, I've picked the most annoying voice I could find, which is the middle-aged white woman. But like, that is not worth the whole like baggage. I do not think that's worth the whole baggage Tina Fey brings. I, you know, I've said this a few times, but like when it comes to voice casting of animated films, I understand now why, you know, why they're trying to get known names. But I think you need to just get the person who is an actual voice actor. And it's just, it kind of annoys me that they're taking away jobs <laughs> from people yes. who like are artful in their voices and know how to, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about their range. This is like, this is their livelihood. And then you get Tina Fey. And I, I do I, think that if you're I a great actor, you can do it. Cause I wasn't thinking, oh, this is Jamie Foxx talking to me. To me, that was like Joe Gardner. And, you know, with Rachel House, I wasn't like, oh, this is Rachel House talking to me. It's like, oh, that's Terry, you know? Right. And, you know, Felicia Rashad would play Joe's mom. I thought she was pretty fantastic. And Angela Bassett was Dorothea Williams. All pretty fantastic. Like, none of their... They were acting very well, and none of it was distracting. Tina Fey was distracting. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like... It goes back to, like, I am I get it that uh, Mike Myers is Shrek. He does a little, you know, a Scottish weird voice. Um... Eddie Murphy is donkey. He has a funny, you know, uh, voice as donkey. But why is like Angelina Jolie like and in like one of those was it Kung Fu Pandas? Like, I don't care about what her voice sounds like. It doesn't she doesn't bring anything to to the role. And so that's why it's like, what is Tina Fey bringing to this role? Um, Yeah, she could have been anyone. I wonder what the timeline is for this film, because was this. Was she cast? She was before prob- it was like she was probably cast before the conversation really came to the top, you know, the forefront. But it's not like Tina Fey. It's not like people weren't saying about this about Tina Fey beforehand. If you watch any of her projects, and I say that as someone who actually likes Thirty Rock, but if you watch Thirty Rock, you're like, oh, it is littered with problems, <laughs> very problematic jokes at the expense of. You know, anyone who's not mm-hmm. white. Um, and it's, it's, I don't know, it just feels like doubly icky. Like, if you, even if you cast a different white woman, I don't think it'd be as weird. What? <laughs> like, probably not ideal. Like, not, again, not Scarlett Johansson. Well, well, it would be like if we were doing <laughs> like the big Asian Pixar movie and you had Scarlett Johansson at the center or like Emma Stone at the center of, the cast, you know, and I just, I, you know, it's Pixar. You can get anyone you want. Can we find another grumpy woman right. to there, be? There are so many, there are so, so many, many. Um, options for middle-aged, annoying woman. Like, But she's yeah. not even supposed to be an annoying woman. That's the thing. I think when Tina Fey embodied it, she became Tina Fey. Like, obviously, we're going to have to put some kind of human qualities onto this character which is not which is just the soul but i mean it couldn't have been someone like much younger like a teenager or you know a, a another black yeah, person like a kid would have been you know, uh, like a younger black person a non-binary person would have been a interesting right like that would have been cool and someone who can again really act and bring yes. that because i don't know 22 was very sympathetic right i didn't find 22 sympathetic someone, i was just like get your shit together don't fuck up this man's life someone who yeah i did enjoy all the vignettes with their um, many many mentors mm-hmm. yeah. um like i thought those are those were really good, jokes, good jokes absolutely but they had nothing to do with tina fey <laughs> so not really um i okay what what did i also like about it um i i actually like the design of the the conceptual world i thought the little blue souls were very cute um with their soft bodies um and speak- <laughs> that was my favorite joke of the entire movie you're so can't get crushed here that's what earth is for yes! i had to stop absolutely and just like cry laugh because again i was watching it you know in the middle of the night by myself because on a desktop because of 
the world. When you're talking about like the Pixar films that always appeal to adults too, this one very much has jokes specifically only for adults um, that I just found delightful. So that was great. Um, I love the design of the cat. The cat was very, you know, I, like that's a an overweight cat that I very much know. Oh, but we all have, yeah, we all have these unhealthy cats. Um, and I would I would have been squishing it. Um, I like the concept of a new soul learning what to appreciate about life, like the first taste of pizza and things like that. Um, didn't have to be in his body; <laughs> it could have been another body. But like, where did the cat? Where did the cat soul go? Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the cat soul was in the great beyond right like you see right him in the so little... but yeah so i appreciated the it got a little convoluted by the end when you're talking about like what the actual point of uh life was and all that other stuff as far as like the magical thing that he had to figure out but and that makes it a little bit too much like oh you just misinterpreted certain things like what well, he- i mean that was that's his character yeah. arc, right? He's someone who's super self-absorbed with his own thing that he doesn't like. You know, I mean, Joe Gardner for most of the movie is a pretty selfish character, like only concerned about his own his own happiness. Yeah, right? and then just just consumed also not just even with his own happiness, but with his sort of thoughts on like these these grand thoughts of what he's supposed to be doing too, um, and not appreciating even life as it is. So he's selfish, but he's also not even appreciating anything that he's actually, you know, has. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a nice contemplative movie, especially when you're an adult. And I I do wonder, like, I in some ways, I wish I was a kid and watched it, and then like watched it as an adult to see how it hits different. <laughs> Maybe. I, want, I do wonder if kids get what's really going on. I feel like. I, I read some articles about they asked like parents like did your kids what, know what the hell is going on they're like they like the cat yeah <laughs> and everything else like went over the head that's what I feel but all the all the soul jokes are very adult like mm-hmm. everything in the great beyond and the concept of even the great beyond and you know when they're like <laughs> assigning like personality traits and there's like and the I mean it's a tech seminar right like um the the which is also another Pete doctor like um move where it it's always like through a bureaucracy like even in the afterworld you know even in coco there's bureaucracy right there's there's always some kind of weird structure that you would think we'd be of past so the seminar stuff just killed me and then you know but like the jokes were like this was like an ego megalomaniac who like is sociopath who like is gonna like kill somebody he's like that's fine that's earth's problem <laughs> yeah but I, I feel like um for kids the visuals are mm-hmm. what they're there for right like the the, the, glowy, the cute souls the, the, the colors yeah. like the lanky joe gardner kind of walking funny when uh when 22 is in his in his body there's enough physical comedy and like slapstick in there to keep kids entertained but yeah i do feel like adults is what the movie is really aimed for and i mean these days there are a ton of adult fans of disney and pixar for them to like target right i don't know what kid would want to watch this though i think it's a fairly like again if you if you walk out of an animated movie and you can't tell the theme or like (laughs) the moral of the story in one sentence or you have to take like 15 to 30 minutes and a rewatch to 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 nail that down and you're still not sure that's not a kid's movie i mean they might have gotten something out of it and we just don't know so like yeah (laughs) I have another question yes. for y'all. Is this a better movie about jazz than La La Land? A hundred percent. See, yes. And that's actually why I kind of <laughs> wanted them to stay on Earth because I was like so excited about all the jazz. And then I was like, oh, cool. And I, even though I knew the concept that he wouldn't get to play the jazz, I was just like, God damn it. <laughs> uh, so I guess so. <laughs> I did get some throwbacks in those jazz band scenes, Marvin. That was that was fun. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, my high school jazz band was not as bad as the jazz band that Joe Gardner taught. Yeah, ours was not that bad either. And what like, you play? Everybody wanted to be there. But as a as a trombone player, I I related oh. to Connie a lot. Although I wasn't as good as her. I was a saxophone player. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, so that was, you know, jazz. Jazz band is like the nerdy 
it's typically the even nerdier mm-hmm. kids because jazz mm-hmm. is like a very sub. I wasn't in it for very long, but. <laughs> It was like it was after school, so you like really had to want to be there. I wasn't, yeah. Um, I wasn't, yeah. The best at jazz, but I, I can read and play music fine. But whenever it came time to solo, I was terrified. Like that is the most like you're on the spot and you have to like improvise. improvise. Just remembering that stuff is like was like I, I wasn't great at it, so I was always like I wasn't the solo trombone as I was like the back the backup like third or fourth chair trombone player. <laughs> Yeah, I do wish they kind of incorporated a little bit more jazz in the overall score. Like Trent Reznor did the score, which I honestly think is kind of a weird pick for this. Um, so maybe they wanted to be distinguished between like the earth and the jazz world and the, you know, metaphysical st- like beyond world, but it did seem like a missed opportunity to get more black musicianship that's true i i agree um that's also why i was like i was hoping there'd be more jazz even in that world um Mm -hmm. this conceptual world because they could have i mean jazz tells stories right and they could have just changed the types of stories that we were hearing in the background um i love trent reznor's new music and um this whole new composition side of his you know scoring side of his career has been fascinating to me but i agree like they could have used him for any other movie. Like, the, you know, like they, they've established this. They can go somewhere else. He's, he's flexible. Like, um, but yeah, I, I agree. Like, I, I was wishing there was going to be a lot more. I like the flashbacks. But if we're kind of like doing this sort of, in a way, like love letter and trying to show people the spark, then I really was hoping to, you know, kind of just leave the movie like, my foot tapping and wanting to like put on jazz and stuff like that. Yeah. I think maybe it was missing like one big extended, like actual showing us like the power of jazz in, in an uncut way. Cause like, we get snippets here and there, but like if we just got a full like blown like concert set of like one jazz song, right? Like letting it. And I, I can't remember if that happened. I don't think that happened in the movie. I think we just get like him. You get him jamming and succeeding. Yeah. And I feel like, Someone that was the most powerful, like visual components of the movie, was when it like went full Fantasia, where you visualize like the the being in the zone and playing. When he's in the zone, yeah. And those moments did stick with me because I think those are powerful moments where you're seeing his like his soul being fulfilled, right? And I mean that's a big part of the movie, but yeah, I mean overall, jazz was more of a framing device and more of a character trait than an actual like. I mean, this movie wasn't about jazz. No, <laughs> but it could have been. <laughs> but still a better movie about jazz than La La Land. Yeah. I mean, at least he was telling people about jazz and then his dad was telling people about jazz and it wasn't uh, a white dude. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And like, sorry, small tangent, but the John Legend band number in La La Land was the best song in the entire thing. So sh- I don't know what like Ryan Gosling's character was all up about that. That song was great. <laughs> that whole movie. Uh, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so I do have a question. How, what do you think happened to the character of Paul voiced by David Diggs, the bully in the barbershop who Terry accidentally takes into the great beyond and brings back? Do you think he's spending the rest of his life like freaked out in the paranoia, paranoid, like frenzy? Maybe he finds his spark and is not a bully anymore. And um... I f- just feel like the punishment does not fit the crime, Han. <laughs> like, yes, he was a bully and kind of a dick, but like, does not, does not, like, she couldn't even men in black him. Like, I don't know if she I has was, that power, but I was literally just thinking about men in black. Um, they, they, I mean, there's no way that they, that they can let Terry just traumatize. <laughs> I hope. Not. I mean, the I Jerry's seem know, pretty nonchalant about everything. They're pretty. Yeah. they're kind of too chill sometimes. Yes, I would agree <laughs> with that. Uh, I love the Graham Norton little role. Uh, I couldn't pin. Mm-hmm. I knew the voice, but I couldn't quite pinpoint who it was. He played- because he looks so different, right? Um, yeah, um, but but he's very charm. You know, very very fun kind of side character. Um, I'm also like obsessed with really good sign spinners. So I was so excited when they made him that. I was I was like, this is amazing. And 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 he had some good moves. 
So you agree that that is a like spiritual practice, good sign spending? I th- I think it can be depending on the person, but I but some of them are yeah. I I could totally see them being in the zone. A lot of times they're listening to music, and they're not doing it necessarily even for the audience. They're doing it for themselves. Did you enjoy That's the little true. Berkeley joke, Jess? Yes, I mean they're 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 Pixar is Berkeley based. They're right at Emeryville at the gate, so there's usually some kind of. Bay Area, East Bay reference. Like I didn't realize until recently that the whole Cars race happens in Emeryville, <laughs> uh, which is fun. So this is, I think, the first one. I think this is the first movie based in, like, well, I guess Ratatouille was based in Paris, but it is it is one of the few Pixar movies where it's in, happening in like a real city. Um, I thought that. I mean, there is something very. I thought I thought they rendered New York very beautifully. Um. The, the energy and like there is something about dappled lighting in New York <laughs> that just has this effect on you, which is literally spoiler the spark for twenty two, right? Like it's something as simple as watching the light through the leaves. And I have, I swear to God, that is the reason why I fell in love with my now partner because we spent this one lovely autumn day in Central Park and the dapple lighting just Aww. cast the light and you know anyone who's seen like Harry Met Sally same vibes the dappled lighting <laughs> that's how you completed your your soul badge right oh i have a lot i think i think my soul i think my soul pat my spark is food like pizza's <laughs> pretty great like it's it is great yeah. um what's your spark guys uh gen- most generally i do probably have to say art but food art and food are both things <laughs> Art and food, watching people cry, you know. Yeah. Oh, I was about things. to say like food or like punching Nazis <laughs> in the face, like one of those. Because I've been, I've also been on Twitter a lot in those tags, trying to get more of those like videos. So, um, I guess, just as the resident Pixar bitch, as you called it, um, yes, Pixar bitch. Where does this film rank in the uh, pantheon of Pixar films? I would definitely say like top half i don't know if it breaks into my top uh five or even top 10 but i think that's just more credit to the talent and the caliber of pixar than necessarily this movie um i'm also you know like i'm I'm a i have a hot take one of my favorite pixar movies is a bug's life which no one likes. I haven't seen it. Uh, that's like that's a hot take. It's Seven Samurai but with bugs, guys. It's great. It's um, it's it's better than some things that people do like. So, oh well. From yeah, in my and, opinion. Yeah, and you know they had like three like really strong Pixar sh- like Toy Story showings, but I do think back, you know what Holland was mentioning earlier, some Pixar movies have this issue where it feels like two movies crammed together because they're and I think it's more present in the latter half because they do start with something like conceptually interesting or conceptually pretty like out of the box like this afterlife great beyond what happens when you die and what's the purpose of life but again because they're a pixar and they're trying to make it a four quadrant film it ends up being some form of like chase film or buddy film or you know something like that i think this is most prevalent in brave which i could tell the point in the movie when they had to switch directors you know there was like a pretty big scale news thing about how they had to remove a director and put in another person. When it became about the bear. And when it became about like a bear <laughs> chase movie about bears breaking shit. Like a physical comedy movie about bears breaking shit. And I was like was I just watching a movie about like this tenuous relationship between a mother and daughter and how that's probably one of the most important relationships you'll have. Most formative relationships you'll have but also probably the most contentious <laughs> like in your life. And then it became a physical bear chase movie. And I was like, what just happened? There are uh, hints of that in this. I do. Uh, a very unpopular take is I did like Brave better than um, Frozen. So, <laughs> Oh, Frozen's not Pixar, though. That's, yeah. that's I know like it's not Disney Pixar, movie. but it was around the same time that everyone was like talking about Frozen. So I finally watched it and I was like, mm. and then I watched Brave right after it. So in my timeline, they make sense together. But um, yeah. And also they're both about like this big girl story as far as you know you but yeah never see merida in like anaheim disney shows or parades but she's all over disney shanghai like she is in all the parades and all the shows there's this one show in disneyland that's in the corner by toontown where they throw away all the night non-white princesses maybe merida's hanging out with them (laughs) 
That's like where Mulan is. That's where Tiana is. It's it's pretty sad. It's a good show. It's called Mickey and the Magical Map. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, it's like, yes. And we don't have to dive into that. The reasons are obvious. <laughs> anyway, yes. Um, I, I would probably have to agree with you, though, as far as like, despite my, you know, obvious, you know, criticism of this movie, I have to give big props to the storytelling and attempt to tackle such a crazy subject. Um, I don't necessarily know if it was 100% like effective for me, but it's so much head and shoulders above so many other four quadrant movies out there right now that are trying to like appeal to everyone. And this one just does everything awkwardly, but beautifully. Um, So I, yeah. I do think the last 10, 15 minutes is pretty, pretty lovely. Yeah. The reverse up, they call it, right? You get (laughs) to see the full. And so I, I had watched this by myself. I asked my boyfriend, I, he watched a few days later and then I really wanted to talk about it. And then I was like, you know, like I'm still trying to wrap my head around what this film was trying to say. I was like, what do you, what do you think is the meaning of life? And like, no, no beat hundred percent confidence. He's just like vibes. I'm like, what <laughs> vibes? This movie is about vibes. I'm like, what do you, what? Like, so life is about vibes. He's like, yes, life is only about vibes. And I'm like, you know, yeah. you're not wrong. And that actually <laughs> makes the most sense to me of any of these thought pieces I have read. So, yes, I think this movie is saying life is just vibes and you just need to know and appreciate when it the vibes are there and happening. <laughs> you know, I like that. Your boyfriend is a genius. So wise, right? <laughs> I, that's the reason why I'm with him. Yeah. We're, and part yeah. of it is dappled lighting. <laughs> so props to the lighting department at Pixar. And half of it is, you know, vibes. Dappled vibes. Dappled vibes. Yeah. Yes. Huh. Well, what did everyone else think about Soul uh, from Disney Pixar? Let us know on Twitter or whatever. Um, you can watch it now on Disney Plus, and it's probably the reason to get Disney Plus right now. Besides, you know, Star Wars and all the other stuff. Um, oh, there's Marvel stuff coming up too, right? WandaVision is coming this Friday. Yeah. I haven't even done Mandalorian <laughs> season two yet. What? I just was actually kind of upon like given the space to reflect, there was a lot of things I did not like about Mandalorian season one. And I heard that they don't do that in season two, mm-hmm. but I just haven't been quite as excited to get back to it. But, you know, I think you got to be in the mood for that. I, I will probably do it soon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a story I've been meaning to write for Mandalorian season two that I never had. And maybe I'll come back to it. But, if you do watch season two, let's talk about it. And maybe the, I'll tell, the you, lack, tell you. So I know context. most people watch it for Baby Yoda, but I love Werner Herzog. And that's why I watch Mandalorian season one. And now that he is no longer around, that that also bums me out. Yeah. I'm here for the Werner Herzog <laughs> of it all. I agree. He's delightful. I love it's, him. It's right. literally in my like vernacular now. I, I like to go, I'm like, I would like, to see a baby. <laughs> I love him oh. so much. Yeah. Han, Jess, thank you so much for joining me once again to talk about Soul. Uh, if people want to find out more of your thoughts online, where can they go? I am on Twitter at JessJewTweets. And I am at Hanonymous. You can find me on Twitter at Marvin Yuet. You can find the show at Good Pop Club and check out our previous episodes by going to the website goodpop.club. Uh, thank you so much to the Potluck Podcast Collective for letting us be a part of their network. Um, you can check out our fellow Asian hosted podcasts by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. Um, good luck in the coming week. Uh, who knows what will happen between now and the next time we see each other. But uh, everyone stay safe. Uh, stay healthy. Um, hang in there, I guess. Um, bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> Hi, 
I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. We're the host of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Every month we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a wide variety of genres from contemporary to historical fiction, fantasy to memoirs, and crime thrillers to romance. Some of our past book club picks are Pachinko by Minjin Lee, Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho, and Devotion of Suspect X by Keigo Higashino. We also go over what's new in the Asian American literary world and chat with some talented Asian authors about their work. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.